0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. You're listening to my friend Ash Roy. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy.
1: Welcome, everyone. Today, I'd like to introduce James Reynolds, the founder of veravo.com, spelled V-E-R-A-V-O.com, which helps you get more traffic to your website and make more sales through search engine optimization and Google AdWords. I met James at the Superfast Business Live conference last month, where I had the pleasure of watching him speak. And in his talk, James shared some great insights around developing and growing a service-based business. Some of James's insights included focusing on selling the right products to the right clients, stepping out of your comfort zone, and narrowing your focus in terms of service offerings rather than trying to be all things to all people at once. James lives and works in Dubai and has appeared in Entrepreneur Magazine, Search Engine Journal, and SEM Rush, to name a few. Welcome to the Productive Insights podcast, James.
0: Awesome, Ash. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm looking forward to this
1: very much. Oh, fantastic. So James, let's jump into it. We're here to talk about service businesses. So let's start by defining what we mean by a services business for the benefit of the listeners.
0: Yeah, cool. I mean, I guess if we kind of took a a dictionary definition of service it's some form of kind of intangible commodity but i guess in terms of like the business sense of it it's essentially acting or doing something on behalf of someone else so delivering a service a solution if you like that means they don't have to do that thing themselves so I mean, there's many examples. I mean, I guess in everyday business terms, it would be something like accountancy. That's a typical service. Uh-huh. Uh, marketing services, you know, such as SEO and AdWords would be very relevant to your audience. Or um, I guess even someone doing waste collection, picking up your your garden rubbish and <laughs> disposables is also <laughs> a service. So there's many, you know, applications of it used in many different ways and forms. Um, but I guess we'll probably be talking a little bit today about doing services, potentially marketing type services, for local businesses, I think.
1: Yes, we'll be talking a lot about marketing services that are designed to increase profitability for businesses through lower customer acquisition costs
0: yeah sounds good well that's right up my street so uh yeah let's do it
1: yes i noticed you have a podcast by the way
0: okay so that was the traffic jam podcast that's the title of the the show on itunes if your listeners want to seek it out but yeah that particular show was talking to a guy who's getting great results with youtube advertising and uh some of the benefits of youtube advertising is that it's super cheap i mean you can get views at probably somewhere between five and ten cents per view and of course there's a hugely large audience there Somewhere near 1 billion unique uh, visitors, that's unique visitors, not views on YouTube per month, so um, yeah, that's certainly a good useful tool, and actually one for a service business I think if you're doing, you know, remarketing on YouTube, that's actually a a very good way to build up trust and stand out above, you know, similar businesses in your market if you're doing the service business model too.
1: Yes, there's two subjects that are very close to my heart actually, YouTube is something I'm quite infatuated with at the moment, and remarketing is the other one, and the combination of the two can be quite miraculous, I believe. So I'm sure that will creep into our conversation along with content marketing, which is another favorite of mine. I had an entire podcast interview with Chris Garrett a few episodes ago, which you might find quite interesting. And then another episode with Dan Norris that veered into content marketing, and that ended up being an entire podcast episode on its own. So I'm sure we'll be discussing those topics
0: a lot as well. Yeah, and it's exactly what we're doing right now, right? It's uh, producing content that drives some form of marketing results. So I think both you and I are certainly bought into that concept as well.
1: Yes, having useful content that creates a conversation. I loved how Chris Garrett put it. He said, content marketing is about a conversation between a buyer and a seller, which nowadays happens regardless of whether you want to be involved in that conversation or not. And by the time a person ends up at a point where they're ready to buy a product, they have already had that conversation and it's usually through content marketing. So as a seller, if you're not willing to be part of the conversation, chances are you're not going to be making a whole lot of sales going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, here's the point, Ash, I think if we look at statistics, and I don't know where these come from, or even how accurate they are in this present time. But I think somewhere near 70% of a buying decision will be made before a prospect ever contacts your business. And that's because they're using tools like the internet now to do all of their research Mm. in advance. Yes. Um, I mean, let's take an example, I don't know, someone buying a car. Before they walk into the car dealership, they're going to know pretty much what model they want, why it fits their purposes, mm-hmm. what the spec of the engine is, um, how fast it goes, like what its service period is. They probably know more information about that car than the salesperson trying to blum and sell it to them. Yes. So if you're not If you're not putting content out and you're not being the source of information for those people that are researching in advance, then your competitors is going to, you know, your competitor is going to be. So you might as well be that person who's bringing that information to market and the one that's building trust with your audience.
1: Yes. And that is such a powerful statistic. And I appreciate that that is not necessarily something we can verify or validate. But from my experience, I can totally agree that it is about 70% of the time. And in my case, it's probably close to 100% of the time. I do not make any contact with a company that is selling me a product until I've investigated the product quite thoroughly on the web.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Okay, so um, (laughs) back to our original topic, which was uh, services business. So we talked about services business, typically being something you do on behalf of somebody else, like marketing or accounting or even waste collection, it's almost like a done-for-you outcome, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, done-for-you outcomes are good because, you know, most of us would prefer to have someone else do something for us than ourselves do it, Mm -hmm. you know, for us to do it individually, right? Unless we absolutely love that particular activity. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, essentially the act of doing something on behalf of your customer so they don't have to do it themselves.
1: Okay. So let's talk a bit about why one should consider entering a services business. Although a lot of my listeners are established business owners, a fair few of them are also busy professionals. And I think this question applies particularly to people who are considering moving away from a nine to five job or these days it's an eight to eight job into something that affords them a little bit more freedom. I'd love to hear your views on how entering into a services business can solve a lot of that busy professional person's problems and even help an existing business owner who isn't necessarily leveraging the internet.
0: Um, Yeah, okay, cool. So I guess probably should also position why service businesses are now particularly strong and i think that really is down to the age and progression of the world that we currently live in and that's really you know moving towards a hyper specialized marketplace Mm -hmm. Um, because we're so more interconnected now um, because there's so much advancement in technology the There is a real bias now to actually tap into specialised services because people realise that they can't do everything themselves, Uh that one person probably doesn't have the skill set to manage all of the different um, you know, divisions or units in their business. So they probably need to tap into some specialist outside resource mm-hmm. if they really want to get ahead. So I'll we'll use a case in, in point of marketing. Um, it's going to be pretty close to, to your heart and, and that of your audience. You know, A business understands now that if they want to say for instance start ranking their website on Google mm-hmm. that it's going to be a very long and steep learning curve and probably a very large investment to try and work out how to do that themselves, Mm -hmm. whereas they can get a far quicker return on investment and get a far quicker result if they go to a service provider who is proven and skilled in that particular service and just get them to do it instead of them doing it themselves. Um, So we see this more and more. um, It also, because of the sort of globalization of businesses as well, you know, you can literally find suppliers all over the world to do this stuff for Mm. you. So if you can be a, a very specialized service provider, you're going to be in a pretty good strong position. There's going to be a lot of demand for what you do.
1: There's two really great points you've just made there that I'd like to draw out for our listeners. The first one is about globalization. The fact that I live in Australia, but Australia no longer has to be my only market. Through the internet, the entire globe is effectively my market. My services can very easily stretch to every corner of the globe. The second point that you made was the time versus money trade-offs. If I want to get started with a services business, I can spend the time learning all about, let's take SEO as an example. And just to clarify, when we say SEO, we mean search engine optimization. If I want to get started in SEO and get my site really SEO'd up, I would have to spend months, maybe even years, really getting up to speed with SEO or I can just hire somebody from across the globe for a relatively small amount of money, which doesn't equate to years of my effort and learning and still get a similar outcome.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And that's the That's the, the sort of the benefit of it is being able to tap into proven resource who can deliver you a result that much faster. And if you can be the provider of those results, then of course, you're going to be in a pretty strong position in terms of generating lead flow and customers, because there's going to be people out there looking for the result that you can deliver.
1: Yes. Some really great words, a proven supplier of services, and another word I really liked was hyper-specialized marketplace. That's going to stick in my mind for a while, so I agree. <laughs> we are becoming a very hyper-specialized marketplace, and that actually touches on a very important point you made on your presentation at the Superfast Business Conference, which was don't try and be all things to all people. It is very important that you pick a specialty and then dive deep into that specialty.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay, so let's recap. We started off talking about why someone should consider entering the services business. And in that conversation, we said how the services market is becoming a hyper-specialized environment. We talked about how, as a seller of services, you're no longer restricted to your physical location. Thanks to the internet, a seller can sell their services anywhere in the world. We also talked about how a buyer can trade a small investment of their funds in exchange for skills in the form of services that have been developed and honed over a period of years and this financial investment that the buyer puts forward in exchange for those skills is significantly less than the financial equivalent of the time that they would have spent in developing and honing those skills over a period of months if not years so all these factors have created a much more viable services market so those are reasons why people should consider entering the services business from a seller's perspective because there is a growing market for it. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about how one gets started with a services business.
0: Okay. Yeah, cool. So I guess there's um, often some perceived challenges with it in the same way that, you know, as a buyer of services, you probably don't want to go through that learning curve to actually learn how to do that particular service activity yourself. I guess as a seller's perspective is you're gonna want to at least think that you are able to deliver it and know that service, you know, division pretty well. So again, using an SEO as an example you would expect that you'd need to be um, the best SEO person and have all of the insights and knowledge around SEO to be able to deliver SEO services. But Ooh. that's not necessarily the case. Um, one of the sort of the business models that I really like, at least for those getting started, is to kind of adopt a, a middleman positioning. Okay, And that's essentially going out and finding a person with a problem and then finding a solution provider with a solution to that problem and then sitting somewhere in the middle. So if you can find, again, using SEO as an example, if you can find you know, customers or potential customers who want to rank their website higher on Google and you can go and find a third party provider who's able to rank websites higher on the search engines, you can just sit somewhere in the middle with your own branding, with your own business, reselling that third party's services as your own as the solution to the uh, to the buyer and you just sit there literally just sandwiched right in between so you don't necessarily have to have all of the resources have all of the skill sets as long as you can go out and find a um, service provider who's able to deliver that solution you have got a business model that you can get up and running very very quick
1: okay but here's a question james what stops that customer From finding that service provider directly, I mean, I appreciate that the world's a big place. (laughs) If I was to find a service provider doing my SEO for, say, $15 an hour and I found a business who is willing to pay $30 an hour for those same SEO services, what stops the business owner from going directly to the SEO service provider and purchasing those SEO services at $15 an hour?
0: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, potentially, yes. I mean, the like you said, the world is a large place and we can access you know, people and businesses anywhere across the globe. However, you're going into that business as the solution provider. If you can solve their problem, they're not going to look anywhere else because here comes Ash. He's the one that can help my website rank on Google. I've met him. I trust him. I've listened to his podcast. So I know he's a good guy and he knows his stuff. Uh-huh. Why would they want to look elsewhere? Um, I guess that's the first point. The second point is you're probably going to be adding a lot more value on top Uh than is delivered by the solution provider. So you would be, of course, interfacing with the client. Um, You might be, you know, doing special reporting. You might be having face-to-face meetings and, you know, doing a bit of extra consultancy for them. Um, The wholesale provider, the solution provider, wouldn't be doing that. And therefore, they're not able to charge potentially the retail prices that you do. So you can add a lot more value on top of what's delivered by the third party provider that would essentially justify the extra prices that you um, charge the end customer and also just give you a neat repackaged, redesigned, different looking business somewhere in the middle.
1: Beautifully put. That's actually an objection I've heard being put forward against the middleman model quite often. And I was very keen to hear your perspective on it. And I agree with you completely. I think it's about providing additional value and it's about customizing it to that particular buyer's needs. If I, as the middle person, have a relationship that is based on the no like and trust model with my buyer, then they're not going to look elsewhere because I understand them and they don't have to explain their challenges and their problems and their business all over again to another party. Yeah. And
0: there may be other reasons why the customer wouldn't want to go direct. So I'll give you an example from our own business. We Sell um, hyper-specialized SEO and AdWords services, and we sell those to quite large corporate businesses in the Middle East market area. But many of the businesses that we deal with aren't our end customers because, in between us and the customer, is another agency. Right. And the customer wouldn't want to go to us directly because they already have a relationship with that other agency. They're delivering not just SEO services to the customer, but they're delivering branding and advertising and copywriting how much easier is it for the end customer to deal with one person in the middle whilst that agency then comes to us for specialist SEO. I'm sure they go to, you know, other specialist providers for the other services that they offer as well. So they can take that, um, you know, problem solver positioning in the middle and actually work with a number of providers to make the experience for the end customer so much more easy. Aha, the old single point of contact. Yeah, absolutely. And when you get to um, a certain size of business, you will tend to find that they actually like a single point of of contact they'll have one large budget for the year which is assigned to maybe you know marketing and advertising and that will typically get spent with one provider and then that provider will divvy that up into you know what services are delivered for that um, particular budget so for them it's so much easier they've got you know a hundred thousand dollars a year to spend on marketing give it to this one agency they don't have to think about it the agency works out how that money is going to be spent and they just sit there waiting for the result Um, so certain reasons why a single point of contact um, can be good. That said, um, adopting the model where you try and provide multiple services isn't good positioning, at least when you're probably a small to medium type business. I find that when you do take that specialized approach and can become the specialized provider to other agencies, um, you know, um, other businesses who are in a similar field to your own, you have a far more advantageous position uh, within the market. It will actually bring you more business um, than it will bring you less.
1: Right. So your suggestion is when people are starting off in a services-based business, don't try and be the single point of contact guy. Just focus on providing one particular service and do it really well.
0: Yep, definitely, definitely. Unless you're, a, you know, you're a multi-billion global advertising agency, I think it's really, really difficult to to try and do everything. Um, and honestly, to try and get to that sort of positioning now um, is going to be a very long, hard slog. So I don't think really, to be honest, for any type of business, should they try and do everything? I think, you know, even to, you know, a good level that you'd want to say specialise, perhaps just around one, maybe two maximum services if you can.
1: Okay. And coming back to your earlier point about adding value, I think most people would be able to do when they're providing a service as a middle person, they can bring value from their previous experience. So for instance, I have got a background in finance and business analysis, and I've been a consultant. I could bring a lot of value to a business that is looking to implement an SEO strategy. Just about everyone can bring some additional value to the table and that makes their proposition or their offering so unique.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, in your position, Ash, there's also the opportunity to, you know, hyper-specialize around both service and market. So you could be, you know, the the SEO guy to the finance industry. I mean, you've obviously, you know, got the the connections and the trust that those people in that particular industry would know that you understand their business and how it ticks and how it works. And now you bring this new skill set of of SEO to the table that would make you perfectly positioned in that marketplace. So there's multiple ways incidentally you can um, specialize and certainly leveraging your past experiences and your network and connections is one great way to do that.
1: So if somebody wants to get started with a services business, a great way for them to get started would be to have a website with their products and their branding on that website along with a good hosting service and a good domain name. And that's where the content marketing also can feed in where you provide good quality content, blogs, podcasts on that website. Would you agree?
0: Um I would and I wouldn't. Um, okay. <laughs> I would ag- I would agree that um yes, that's certainly important, but Um, I actually operated my business for at least the first, I think, maybe eight, ten months without any form of website at all. And I think there is a tendency for people getting started to delay the speed that they get moving because they make for themselves these imaginary excuses like, oh, I haven't got a business card yet, <laughs> yes. or I haven't got a website, or my letterhead's not printed. And yes. all the time, they're waiting for this perfect moment where their business you know looks as they imagine they want it to be, that it stops them getting started. I tell you what, as the end customer, if you've got a problem and you want it fixing, They don't give a shit whether you've got a website or not. They don't care about your business. card. if you can solve that problem and you can prove that you can, then that's all that they all that they need to know. So don't use it as an excuse. That said, um, as you get some traction, then certainly you will want a website. You'll certainly want to have a place where you can be producing content marketing so you can be building trust and all these other things. But don't let it be a a hindrance and, you know, um, something that holds you back getting moving more quickly.
1: James, that's a great point. If you really are serious about getting started with your business, then don't let the website be a reason for you not to get started today. Yeah. You actually shared something very, very interesting in your talk about the circumstances in which you started your business. Would you care to share that story with our listeners?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, my my sort of start doing... What I'm doing was um, slightly seat-of-the-pants stuff um, for a while. (laughs) Prior to me doing this whole agency model, I was actually a, um, a, a GM for a photography company. Mm-hmm. which I've been a part of for about 10 years prior, uh, six or so years in the UK and then four years or so here in Dubai. Um, and after that time, I'd eventually sort of positioned myself to become a director in the company. I'd been knocking on the door um, to make that happen for a long time. And eventually they agreed um, and brought me in as a director. But somehow I managed to get myself a Agreeing to some terms, which essentially mean that I didn't get paid for three months. Ouch! Um, and and ended up getting essentially forced out of the business. And when I look back in hindsight, basically there was a play going on, and they mm-hmm. probably realised that I was becoming um, too much of an integral sort of um, you know part of the business, and maybe I wasn't going to sort of take it the way they I wanted. I was essentially forced out, so I I was uh, not paid for three months. It accrued in that time a bunch of credit card debt. And ended up then without a job so when I first got started <laughs> with this kind of agency model I didn't really know where to go I know I wanted to make money online I knew I wanted to be kind of an internet marketer as we would probably describe it but I didn't quite know where you know what direction to to head into and then I turned to a, um, a mentor of mine James Shramko, and he said what you need to do is sell services to local businesses leveraging your skill set and your connections um, and then um, then sort of grow it up from grow it up from there and that's exactly what I did and I guess probably those. Circumstances being what they were, were some of the reasons why I probably didn't procrastinate over getting my website done or any of that <laughs> stuff because I really needed to kind of start earning money quite quickly and building something of value. Um, and I find this sort of these sort of sets of circumstances, whether they're my own or, you know, someone perhaps having a baby or or something like that. There's oh. often some of those businesses that do really well early tend to have some pretty forceful situations oh. um, surrounding them that forces, you know, the entrepreneur to kind of act more quickly oh. um, and readily. And I think if you can almost somehow um, manufacture a situation like that a little bit so that you really need to get results um very fast then it can sort of help you move more quickly and get your business going ahead faster but um yeah i mean certainly perhaps don't recommend sort of quitting your job and not making any money for three (laughs) months that's probably not the way of doing it but you know you get my point
1: (laughs) i absolutely do james is my mentor too now and i must say that having him as a mentor certainly helps you to get moving because he doesn't really tolerate a whole lot of faffing around does he no
0: um (laughs) You know, James, he's very he's very straight to the point. He'll yeah. not let you hide behind excuses.
1: Which is the best thing.
0: Which is the best thing. And sometimes it's just that frankness and that, you know, objective realisation that, um, that you need sometimes. Like just, you know, quit pissing around and just get yeah. on with it. Yeah.
1: yeah, I actually, with this podcast, you know, I had this interview with Neil Patel sitting on my computer for like a year and I'd been talking about all these various things that I was going to do and had this list. And James said, that just sounds like a shoulda, coulda, wanna just get on with it and just publish the podcast. And I said, but don't I need to have three to get onto, you know, new and noteworthy? He said, just publish the damn podcast. And I published it. And that was about eight weeks ago. And this is now my 13th podcast episode. A lot of people will argue that you need to have all your ducks in order before you launch a podcast. But I think I needed to just take action and get on with it.
0: Yeah, in fact, I'm, I'll, I'll borrow a James Shramko saying because we seem to be talking about him quite a bit right now. But he, one of the things that he quite often says is, "You can't, you can't steer a parked car. Mm. You know, it's very difficult when something's sitting and not moving. It takes a takes a lot of effort. So if you can get." just the wheels in motion and get that car rolling forward it's much more easy to maneuver it maneuver it and point it in the right direction cool. um, so there's certainly a massive case for getting something rolling um, even if it's not perfect yet even if it's not exactly as you'd like it to be get the wheels in motion and then you know you can steer it into the place you want to um, once it's sort of moving ahead so um, yeah I can see how that's happened with your podcast surely when you got one up you're like okay well a, that wasn't so hard, was it? I probably exactly. need to get two up now. Exactly. And two becomes three and before and then... Well, you, James yeah, is very smart.
1: What he did was he actually said, okay, now that your podcast is up and it's out there, now you've got to get it new and noteworthy. So he, he figured out... I think he's a very good judge of character and he figured out how to, you know, what motivates... He, I think he can figure out what motivates one individual from another. And, and then my next challenge was to get onto new and noteworthy and then I didn't look back. So... Yes, it's it, good work, different, diff, different horses, different courses, I suppose. So that actually segues beautifully into the next point, And that is overcoming objections. So we've already talked about how the process of creating a website and getting your business cards printed can really become an obstacle in getting started with your services business. Are there any other typical challenges that a person faces when starting their services business? And how do you recommend they overcome them?
0: One common one is the actual, you know, is the actual delivery of it, which I guess we've kind of, of, of touched. We've touched on with that kind of middleman um, sort of positioning that you can take if that's the option you um, you choose to to go for. Also, a lot of people worry about it being something that's scalable. Uh-huh. Um, and that is true if you just want to be the only person in your business. You can't build a hugely You know, large and profitable service business if it's just yourself. Mm -hmm. So even if you're going to use someone else for supply. Um, you're still going to need to have some form of, you know, support team or project managers who do, you know, a lot of the face-to-face stuff. Because there's no hiding behind it. If you're operating a marketing business and you're servicing, you know, local offline companies, there's going to be face-to-face meeting. There's probably a little bit of lack of knowledge around the services that you deliver. That's going to require some education. Mm-hmm. So it is quite a high touch point business. Um, but if you set up the expectations and the frameworks correctly, you can minimize that kind of service burden and actually make it um, one, you know, not too taxing upon yourself, but also set up in a way that you can have other people um, manage it. Mm -hmm. So we have, for instance, you know, a a help desk that my project managers of which there's several now interface with the customer. Um, I now have hired local staff so that they really, you know, are having the direct contact with the customer while I Deal with the more sort of high-level um, stuff, and we ha- operate a you know relatively, you know sort of small team for the size of business we service, and that's just because we got things very well streamlined and, and set up. So I think it's important that you have the right frameworks
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the, the um, you have the business set up correctly so that it can scale. Because um, you know if you get things right, then it can scale very very fast.
1: Okay, so if a listener wants to get started with the services business, what do you recommend? What actions do they take right now? One that springs to my mind straight away is find somebody who has a problem, understand how to solve that problem, find a supplier who can help you to deliver on that solution, and then assume the position of the retailer or the middleman, make sure that the buyer has a very good experience and their
0: problem is solved. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah, you've um, you've stolen my thunder, Ash, and that's perfect. <laughs> um, I guess a, a few things that I would uh, I would add to that that probably we haven't touched upon um, too much so far would be also choosing the right the right thing to sell because there's an opportunity to sell anything. People have you know. Problems coming out of their out of their ears, right? I mean, there's always people that need help with something. So getting the the model right is quite important, especially if you want to build a profitable business, which is kind of how you preface this. Yes. So I think um, in terms of sort of thinking up what you could deliver for a service, there are probably a few things that you want to think about. The first would be selling something that, of course, is high value. You want to ensure that you can maximize profit. Um, high value tends to come from something that will give a big return on investment so um, if that can be something that delivers you know sort of sales related numbers um, I'll I'll give you an example I prefer you know delivering traffic over delivering websites because a website can't inherently you know deliver or make money for a business but traffic certainly can probably not the best example but I guess you get my point Yes. Um, the other things you want to think about is Finding something that can be um, recurring, Mm -hmm. Um, so a service that someone would potentially need month after month is much, much better because that allows you to sell once and get paid over and over and over again. Um, That might give you some clues why we sell SEO services because customers sign up, you know, for SEO very much as a long term activity and we bill them monthly, Mm -hmm. um, which of course makes managing cash flow and scaling that much um, more easy. And probably one of the other things that I would look for is something that you can package Typically, when people sell services, they tell they sell these kind of bespoke solutions. They do custom quoting, custom pricing, um, these types of things. When what you really want to do, if you want to build something scalable, is actually take your services and put them into neat little packages that you can resell as the solution to the problem. So, people want to see this in. Um, example, you could head on over to SEOSherpa.com, which is our SEO agency, and you'll see positioned up there on the front of the website, three packages for SEO. They're all services, but they're of different sizes, and they fix... Different degrees of problems. Um, someone wanting a little bit more, you know, traffic and ranking. Someone wanting, you know, a fair amount more. And something, someone wanting a huge amount more. They're all packaged neatly up, which means I don't have to do custom quotes. Um, I can just diagnose the problem the customer's got and then position in one of those packages as being the right solution, which um, in turn reduces your sales cycle mm-hmm. um, and allows you again to reduce the amount of burden it takes to onboard a customer. So I guess those are a few little points that I'd probably sort of add to that when you think about what you might want to get started with.
1: They are some very relevant and valuable points. So thank you very much for that. That's fantastic. Getting the model right, selling something that is of high value, leaning towards something that is a recurring income based service and something that you can package up, which then you can sell as a package solution rather than doing these boutique kind of solutions as one off offerings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, perfect.
1: Fantastic. That actually brings us to the end of the interview. So thank you very much for your time, James.
0: Thanks, Ash. It's been a blast. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comments section that Ash personally answers.
1: How can Ash help you today?